tonight just to hear that. It's one of my favorite songs. Now, we are looking tonight Romans chapter 9, uh, verse 30 is where we're going to start reading. And we're going to read through chapter 10. We live in a very success-driven culture, uh, and you'll know it's true that most of the rewards that we get in life are based on performance. They're based on our working hard. Uh, You get into graduate school based on how well you did on on some test. You get certain jobs uh, based on your resume or on how well you did, how well you performed in your interview. Uh, Whether or not you make the soccer team or the baseball team or the football team or what have you is based on whether you impress the coach at the tryout. And we tend to think in those categories. If If I work hard, I'll be accepted and everything will be okay. If I don't do well, if I don't perform, I won't be accepted. And and that's the way we tend to look at it. In the passage that we're going to look at tonight, what you're going to see is that the exact opposite is true in this passage. Uh, It's as if Wofford had tryouts for the football team and the people that didn't care a lick about making the team, uh, the artists, the musicians, they made the team. And the people that had been busting their ear ends all year to make the team didn't make the team. It's, it's turned completely upside down. Um, a, a few weeks back when I was here, I, we looked at Romans 9 together and we talked about the doctrine of election. And I made the comment before that sermon that there are people who are better Christians than I am who wouldn't agree uh, necessarily with what I said that morning. But tonight we're going to ask the question, how can a person be made right with God? Uh, And the answer is this, I can't do enough good works to be accepted by God. I can only be accepted by God if I trust in the perfect work of someone else, the perfect work of Jesus Christ. And you may or may not agree with that, uh, but please understand this. If you, if you disagree with that fact, uh, you're not simply in another denomination. Uh, you're in another religion. Because that is the essence of Christianity. So it's important stuff. So let's look together. God's Word. Romans 9, starting in verse 30. What shall we say then, that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is the righteousness that is by faith, but that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law? Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness 
to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses said, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Would you pray with me? Father, help us as we look together uh, at your word. I pray that you would speak through me and even uh, over and above me, but that you would show us your son and show us uh, your gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, quick, uh, quick Romans review. First eight chapters of Romans is God's good news to rebels. All right, there you go. I told you it's quick. Um, uh, that's that's what God does in chapters one through eight, uh, or what Paul does. Uh, God does through Paul in chapters one through eight. Romans nine, uh, the apostle Paul begins to deal with. Well, why did the Jews? Reject this message. Reject this good news about Jesus Christ. Uh, if God's people are the Israelites, why have they rejected their own Messiah? Why have they rejected the one who came to save them from their sins? Uh, chapter 9, what Paul does is he deals with that question from the angle of God's sovereignty. And he says, in essence, God has rejected some and God has chosen Others in verse 15, um, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. He's rejected some and chosen others, not on the basis of their works, but on the basis simply of his choice. Um, and if that kind of puzzles around with you, then I talked about that last time. So sorry, um, you have to go back and find that sermon. But but now. Paul deals with this question uh, from another perspective. 
he, he answers the same question from the perspective of human responsibility. You know, sometimes we tend to think, well, if God's sovereign, then that means I'm not responsible for my actions. Uh, but that's not the case at all. What the text shows us here is that divine sovereignty and human responsibility aren't at odds with each other at all. Uh, God is sovereign over all of history, and yet we at the same time are responsible uh, for our decisions and for our behavior. And here Paul shows us that about the Jews, that they were responsible for their behavior, for the choices that they had made, and they were in fact lost. Why? Because they refused to believe the gospel. And they wouldn't believe the gospel message that was being proclaimed. So then the question again is, though, why then, why are the Gentiles, and when I say Gentiles, I just think not religious people. Why are the not religious people accepting the gospel and coming into the church while the Jewish people, the people who actually worship God, they're rejecting the gospel? Okay, the non-religious people are accepting the gospel. The religious people are rejecting the gospel. Why is that happening? Look at verse 30 of chapter 9. I'm going to read this part again. What shall we say then that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is a righteousness that is by faith, but that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law? Why? That's our question. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Now what's Paul's answer to the question here? Well, his answer revolves around this idea of righteousness. And this is a, a word, it's a phrase that's, that you see all through the book of Romans, beginning in chapter 1, we're working on this idea of this righteousness before God. Verse 30 tells us that the Gentiles did not pursue righteousness. Now, what's it mean uh, to pursue righteousness? To pursue righteousness means to, be, means to seek to be regarded and treated as righteous in God's eyes. Uh, it means you want to live in the way... That God approves of. It means you want to be found in right standing in God's court. And Paul says that the Gentiles, again, think non-religious people, the Gentiles, uh, these people who aren't really worried about God, these people who didn't care about their standing with God, uh, these people who you would say, well, what, what does God have to do with anything? I've, I've got a, I've got a job. I've got a political cause. Uh, I've got sports center to watch. I've, I've got a party to go to. I've got things to do. I've got money to make. What's God got to do with anything? These people, some of these people, had received righteousness. God regarded them as righteous, as keepers of the law. Even made them his sons and daughters. They made the team. They made a team that they didn't care anything about. All right, think about a, a friend who hates football being made the quarterback of the Indianapolis Colts. All right, what? What? How did this happen? Why did this happen? Right, we'll, we'll get back to that in a minute. Now the Jews. 
What about the Jews? What about God's people? These were the religious folks. Uh, these were people who would go to church. They do the right thing. They say the right thing. Um, they know all the rules. They know how to keep all the rules. They avoid any appearance of wrongdoing. What happened to them? They did pursue a law that would lead to righteousness, is what the text tells us, or more literally, a law of righteousness. Uh, the New Living Bible helps us here. It puts it this way. But the Jews who tried hard to get right with God by keeping the law never succeeded. They tried hard. They were worried about their standing with God, and they worked to make sure that they were going to be accepted by God. But they never got the right standing they wanted. They never made the team. Why not? They wanted to make the team, and they worked to make the team, but they didn't make the team. And the people who didn't care anything about being on the team are suddenly on the team. Why is this happening? Paul answers the question this way. First of all, look in verse 32 again. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. Therefore, he says, uh, they stumbled over Jesus, in so many words, uh, because Jesus was offensive to them. Now, New Living Bible helps us out again. They were trying to get right with God by keeping the law and being good. That's the way this worked in their minds. I'm going to keep the law. I'm going to be good. I'll be right with God. Everything's going to be okay. So when Jesus came, what's the point? Why do I need someone to die for me? Why do I need righteousness from somebody else? If I work hard enough, if I keep the law, if I do the right thing, God's going to accept me. Now, y'all, there are a lot of people today who aren't nearly as zealous as the Jews were at keeping God's law and pursuing righteousness. But who assume at the end of the day that God will accept me. Uh, and I think this really demonstrates a few things. For one, it, it demonstrates uh, a failure to understand the character of God. That God really is much more holy than we can get our hands around and really detests sin more than we grasp. Uh, it also shows that they didn't understand the nature of God's law. You know, Jesus was trying to, to drive that home to them in the Sermon on the Mount. Well, you say you haven't murdered anybody. Good. Congratulations. Um, how about your words? Have you killed anybody with those? You say you haven't committed adultery. That's great. How about your eyes? Uh, you say that you love people. How about your enemy? You say that you care about the needy. Well, if it's really the needy that you care about, why do you make such a big deal about it when you give to the needy? It sounds like you might care more about people's applause. And then he says, you need to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Um, this shows that they were ignorant of themselves. They didn't understand the sin in their own hearts. They thought they were good. But Jesus tells us nobody's good but God himself. They thought they were righteous. And so when Jesus comes along offering his righteousness, 
to them. It doesn't make any sense to them. They trip and fall. They don't get it. They were zealous for God. They were church-going, upright people that you want to see on city council or whatever, uh, but they don't get it. Verse 3, look at chapter 10, verse 3. For being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Um, that's a verse you ought to memorize. I don't say that very often. That's a, that's a verse you ought to memorize. For being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God and seeking to establish their own. They were seeking to establish their own standing with God. And so they did not submit to God's righteousness. They didn't submit to the righteousness God offered. It wasn't that they didn't hear the gospel. It just, it just flew right over their heads when they did hear it. They didn't understand what Jesus was doing because they were confident uh, of the fact that through their own works, they could gain right standing before God. I can do this myself. I can make the team. They needed righteousness from God, but they thought they were okay. So when God made righteousness available to them in Jesus, what's that there for? I don't need, I don't, that doesn't make any sense. I don't need that. Now, on the other hand, right, how about the Gentiles? Why did the Gentiles embrace this righteousness that was being offered to them? Was well, because they suddenly realized that, hey, I kind of need that. They realized they needed it. You know, all through the book of Romans, this point has been made that, that we are all sinners. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That there's no one good. No, not one. No one who seeks God. Paul's been saying over and over, we're all sinners. We're all in the same boat. We're all lawbreakers. The law isn't there so that you can earn your salvation by keeping it. It's there to show you that you don't keep it and that therefore you have a problem. And the religious people weren't getting that. They weren't seeing their own sin. But the Gentiles, the pagans, the not religious people, they heard that and went, yeah. I can see that. Absolutely. That's me. I need help if I'm going to be right with God. Now, let me make just a couple applications before we move to our next point. Uh, this speaks to two different types of people. For one, it speaks to the non-religious. Uh, if you're here and you would say, you know, I'm not really that religious. And maybe you've even spent much of your life uh, running away from God. And you've kind of, you know, you, you said, I don't really need God. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm, I make my own rules. I'm going to take care of myself. Uh, but maybe it's beginning to dawn on you that something's amiss. And you're, you're kind of feeling this uh, spiritual vacuum in your life, this spiritual void in your life. And you're thinking, I need to do something about that. What this text tells you, it tells you what you don't need to do about that. It tells you what you don't need is religion. Uh, you don't need some sort of spiritual experience. Uh, you, you don't need to just turn over a new leaf and work hard at being a better person. Because that's what the Jews were trying to do. And it caused them to miss it completely. So that's what you don't need to do. 
This also speaks to the religious person, though. Uh, and I think it warns you, if you're, which is probably most of us, it, and it, it warns you to examine your religion very carefully. Uh, being zealous and excited by God doesn't earn you right, being zealous and excited about God does not earn you right standing with God. Being involved in a lot of church activities doesn't earn you right standing with God. Being thought well of by others will not earn you right standing with God, but it's very easy to be religious and to miss your own sin. You feel pretty good about your efforts. You feel pretty good when you compare yourself to people around you. Uh, and it's easy to hear about Jesus and sort of say, he's a good example to follow. I need to, what would Jesus do? I need to be more like Jesus. And to miss the fact that what you really need is not an example, but you need for Jesus to save you to deliver you, to rescue you. But it's very possible for religion to blind you to your need for Christ. Well, what is it the Jews need? What is it that the Gentiles need? What is it that we all need? We need righteousness. That's the, that's the big point here. Verse 3, Paul talks about God's righteousness. And again, this picks up this theme he's been working on all through Romans uh, chapter one, he says in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Verse four he, here, he says that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for all who believe. We need righteousness. Well, where do we get it? We get it from God. Uh, the gospel tells us that God has supplied the righteousness that we're lacking in the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus came to die for unrighteousness and to give us His righteousness. Jesus lived a perfect life. He kept God's law perfectly and then He died uh, for the sins of His people. And so the Gospel then presents Jesus as a substitute for sinners. Uh, in the Gospel, God tells us, look, you haven't lived up to your terms of, of the agreement here. You haven't kept my law but my son has. You deserve death for your law breaking, but through faith in my son, you can have righteousness and life. And we're dealing with what, what all Romans is, is largely about, this idea of justification. Uh, this act of God in which he credits our sin to Jesus, to Jesus' account, and he credits Jesus' righteousness to our account. We don't literally become righteous as in we're just suddenly holy and do everything perfectly. But he declares us, uh, it's legal terminology, he declares us to be righteous, to be in right standing with the court, to be in right standing with him. And we get it from Jesus. Jesus stands in for us before the judge and we get credit for what he's done. He supplies what we need. We say, well, that sounds pretty good. How do I get that? How can a sinner be made right with God? Well, theoretically, um, you could just keep the law perfectly. And then you would get right standing with God. Which is what Paul seems to be getting at in verse 5 when he says, The person who does the commandment shall live by them. 
In other words, okay, if you're saying, you know, Jesus stuff sounds interesting, but I'd rather just do this on my own. All right, if you want to earn your place on the team, then here's what you need to do. Here are the commandments. Just run, keep those um, perfectly. Uh, Do all of them. Um, And then you'll gain life. Well, there's a problem there, isn't there? Uh, because we don't keep all of them. We, we, we fail miserably at them. And even if, even if you could somehow work up the resolve from now on to never think a wrong thought or say a wrong thing or do the wrong thing, even if you could do that, what are you going to do with all that stuff in your past that hangs between you and God? What do you do with that? Uh, verse 6 and 7 here offer us a couple of strange phrases by way of an answer. They say, who will ascend into heaven and who will descend into the abyss? Now, apparently these were phrases in Jewish literature uh, that referred to something that was impossible to do. So what Paul is saying is, look, what do you do? God's not asking you to do some impossible feat. He's not asking you to do the impossible. Instead, he's simply asking you to believe the word that's near you. The word that tells you that Jesus himself has already done the impossible. That Jesus, the Son of God, has already come down from heaven. That Jesus, the Son of God, has already risen from the dead. You don't need to do something impossible. You need to believe in what Jesus has already done, you need to believe this gospel message about Jesus. What was the message say? What is this that I'm believing about Jesus? Well, first of all, he tells us Jesus is Lord. Now, if you're not a Christian, that's a, that's a pretty huge thing, pretty huge claim that Jesus is making to you. He's saying, I'm Lord and you're not. Uh, then I get final say at the end of the day. Um, that's a pretty huge claim if you're a Christian, too, because there are a lot of people uh, running around who would say, I'm a Christian, and all they mean by that is that, you know what, I think Jesus was a good moral teacher and a good example, and I'm going to follow his example. And Paul said, no, 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 no. You've got to embrace him as who he is. You've got to actually embrace him as the divine son of God the ruler of all creation. He's not just a good example. He's God. Secondly, embracing him as Lord means purposing in your heart to submit to him. You know, there's a a lot of people who want that proverbial get out of hell free card. Um, You know, I I prayed that prayer. I remember in in 19 whatever, I prayed that prayer. I asked Jesus to save me and, and one day I'll get around to letting him be Lord. But you can't just kind of split Jesus in two like that. Uh, He is Lord. That's who he is. And it's as Lord that you have to come to him. After all, the essence of our sin, the essence of your and my sin, is our refusal uh, to come to him. And it's our desire to be God. It's our desire to be God ourselves. We've rebelled against him and, and served ourselves. How then can we come to him and say, I want you to save me from the consequences of sin, but I still want to keep doing what I want to do. I still want to be in charge. But I appreciate that. Um, thanks for that. But, but I'm going to keep doing my own 
thing. And so you really just keep on worshiping yourself. Uh, So our faith has got to be directed toward Jesus as Lord. But our faith is also directed to Jesus' work, to what he did. Paul uh, talks of here, he says here that God raised him from the dead and that we need to believe that. And that's simply shorthand. That's a way of summarizing that we have to believe in Jesus' literal life, his literal death, and his literal resurrection. And we've got to embrace that. In other words, we've got to embrace all that Jesus has done and depend on that for righteousness instead of embracing what we do and what I do every day. Um, stop trusting in our own works and trust in somebody else's work. The old hymn says, upon a, life, upon a life I did not live, upon a death I did not die. Another's life, another's death, on this I stake my whole eternity. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. We realize we are lawbreakers uh, who, who are hell deserving, but we see that God is kind to sinners. I mean, he's offered us a way to be right with him. And he says simply, quit looking at yourself and look at my son and what he's done. Uh, this is not something to do. This is not a religious work to do. But it's a belief that's got to come from our hearts as we cast ourselves upon Jesus. And it's a belief that then flows out of our hearts and through our lips as we verbalize with our lips, with our mouths, what we believe and know to be true. Well, who's the message for? It's for everybody who will believe it. Look at verse um, 11. Chapter 10, verse 11. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Anybody, anybody here, if you will call on the name of the Lord, if you will cry out to Jesus Christ for mercy, he will save you. No matter who you are. No matter what you've done. Uh, so you've got to call on the name of the Lord. But, look at verse 14. But how are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Uh, If people are to be saved, if people are to be made right with God, they've got to hear the gospel message. They've got to hear it. And if they're going to hear it, somebody's got to preach it. And if somebody's going to preach it to them, they've got to go to them and declare this message. Did the Israelites hear this message? Paul says, yeah, they did hear it. And that's what the last verse is saying. All day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. God held out his hands to them, calling them to believe the gospel and to turn from their own righteousness to the righteousness of Jesus. And they wouldn't. They rejected it. Make a few, just a few thoughts in closing here. Number one... People need to hear this. 
People need to hear this message. Uh, Therefore, we need preachers. We need people to proclaim this message. We need missionaries. We need people to go to places uh, where folks are without this light and proclaim this gospel message. Um, and, And even if you're not one who goes, that means that you ought to be praying that people would know this and hear this. And giving generously uh, that people could go and proclaim this message. And you yourself, as you are going in your day-to-day life, ought to be mindful of the opportunities God gives you to share and to speak this gospel message. And perhaps you ought to think, uh, have you ever considered that the Lord might be wanting you to go and to declare This good news, not just to your neighbors, but some crazy place, Um, the good news of the gospel. Secondly here, um, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. This text says I have good looking feet, which is why I like to wear sandals a lot. So you can look at my good looking feet. (laughs) Um, That's the most important thing you'll learn tonight. Now, um, you know, preachers are bringing good news. Well, they ought to be. Uh, so don't run when the preacher's coming. You know, don't try to avoid him. He, he's coming to help you and to point you to good news and to point you to, to, point you to Jesus Christ. And you ought to rejoice uh, that God has sent you pastors and those who would proclaim the gospel and all its truth right here week after week after week. Uh, number three, um, you should believe what I'm saying tonight to the extent that it's faithful to this book. And if it's not faithful to this book, then you, then you shouldn't believe it. But it is faithful to this book, then you need to realize this isn't just my message. This is God's message. And this is a message from Jesus, and you ought to believe it. Uh, number four, and this is the last thing, uh, the righteousness of the Jews kept them away from God. The religion of the Jews kept them away from God. And I want to simply ask you, is your righteousness keeping you away from God? It may be a religious righteousness. Uh, You're proud of your good works. You're all caught up. I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a pretty good girl. At the end of the day, I'm a decent person. And so I'm okay with God. That could be what's keeping you away from God. Uh, It may be what looks to be like a a non-religious righteousness. And here's what I mean. Uh, You may have huge amounts of emotional energy invested in proving to yourself and in proving to everybody else, I'm okay. I'm an okay person. And your fundamental joy and trust Uh, And delight is in what your parents think of you, uh, what your friends think of you, how successful you are, how well your life is going, who you know. It might be in being right, in being important, in being somebody, being better than other people. And that thing, whatever it is, functions like a source of righteousness in your life. Let me give you an illustration of this. Uh, I read an interview a while back. Somebody was doing an interview with Jerry Lee Lewis. Um, 
And Jerry Lee Lewis was a contemporary of Elvis and Johnny Cash and Carl Perkins. Uh, and there's a Broadway musical that was out. I don't know if it's still out or not, but it was it was it was about this day uh, at Sun Studios in Memphis. And if you've never been there, you ought to go there because one day Elvis and Johnny Cash and Carl Perkins and Jerry Lee Lewis just happened to show up there all at the same time and had this famous recording session that went on that day. And so there's this article about Jerry Lee Lewis and talking about that day and the the author of the article leaves. And as she's leaving, uh, the Jerry Lee Lewis's daughter comes running out after the writer, after the author. And she says, wait, 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 wait. And this is what she says. My daddy, Jerry Lee Lewis, my daddy wanted me to tell you that when John Lennon, you know John Lennon, the Beatles, my daddy wanted me to tell you that when John Lennon met him in Hollywood in the early 1970s, he got down and kissed his feet. He just wanted you to know that. That John Lennon got down and kissed Jerry Lee Lewis's feet. That was his righteousness. I'm Jerry Lee Lewis. I'm the killer. Uh, that's what he was trying to broadcast about himself. Let me ask you, what are you trying to broadcast about yourself? Um, you know, in the old days we did it in more subtle ways. Now you just do it on Facebook. What are you, what are you trying to say about yourself to other people? What do you want them to think about you. How are you trying to establish, I'm okay, I'm okay. Uh, or maybe this question, put it this way, where are those places in your life where you feel desperate for someone else's approval? See, unless you submit to the righteousness that comes from Jesus, you are forever going to be trying to come up with a way to say, I'm okay. It's okay. I'm all right. And that that way you're trying to that, that way you're trying to tell yourself that you're okay is going to function like a law in your life, and it will never come to an end. You're always going to be slaving to to, to um, fulfill the terms, to meet the obligations of that law, to obey it, until you learn every day to turn. And to embrace the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Until you learn to look yourself in the mirror before you go to bed at night and say, I'm okay. I'm okay. Not because I'm a good accountant. Not because I'm a good businessman. Not because I'm a good mother or father or daughter or college student. But I'm okay because of the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. Because God made me righteous. And I don't have to spend all my time establishing to myself and everybody else that I'm okay. Because God's already said that I'm okay. And if you'll do that, you'll be amazed at how that will change your life. You will be amazed at the freedom that will bring. Freedom from fear. Freedom from the anxieties that plague our everyday life. Uh, the fact that you're clinging to your own righteousness, though, might be the one thing that's keeping you 
from knowing the freedom and joy of knowing and having the righteousness of Christ. We pray for us. Father, we confess that we are people who are busy trying to establish that we're okay. And we all do it in different ways. We can all come up and share ways that we do that, in ways we want to feel better about ourselves and have other people feel better about us. And yet, Father, you tell us that in ourselves we're not okay and we're not going to make ourselves okay no matter what we do. And then the only way... We're going to be right with you is to turn away from ourselves. God, would you help us to do that? Would you help us to turn away from ourselves and to rest simply in the righteousness you offer us in Jesus Christ? Father, make that clear to us, make it plain to us, and cause it to bring us much joy. We pray it in his name. Amen.